Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, with Honky. Hey, uh, the lack of two-a-day podcasts have allowed me to focus more on body maintenance this year. Great. Uh, And Mac. Hey, Redcasters, just want to welcome you into our second week of fall camp where we're still finalizing our lineup and seeing who's going to be doing what. And Boomer. I would just like to note that with the uh, UNL Chancellor announcing no Friday night football games at Lincoln the same weekend the podcast goes off on it, uh, the Go Big Redcast definitely gets results. <laughs> That's absolutely. We are influential. That's the right. truth. Um, I'm, I'm finishing up uh, Chapter 7 of Steve Peterson's book. And his hero is defeating evil head coach Hank Bolich in a bowl game. So it's uh, quite the read. Uh, All right, guys. Um, Honky, uh, I think we got some uh, Twitter polls out there. What's going on in the Twitterverse? All right. Well, this last week uh, we had uh, another successful poll, 309 votes. So thank you very much, Redcast fans. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah, what does success look like for, uh, to you for Nebraska football in 2017? Uh, coming in first was Big Ten West champion uh, with 62% of the vote, clear and away. Number two was uh, just ending the season in the top 25. That was 21%. Uh, winning the Big Ten title and getting it to the playoffs, that was 11%. And 6% of you out there think a winning record is, uh, is a, uh, a good expectation of, of what success looks like. Uh, specifically, some of the comments from our fans. Cornusker Cole said, I said top 25. Going to be hard to win the West this year with uh, both Wisconsin and Northwestern cross-divisional matchups versus ours. Bruce Strom said, I really want the 17 Huskers to win the West, but in my opinion, that won't happen again until 19, and probably not then if Mike fired, Mike Riley isn't fired. And Brad Novotny said, tough question this particular year. Voted ranked in top 25. Not sure winning the West this year is practical. Should be a goal, though. All right, all right. That's uh, that's fair takes, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I was impressed with the uh, graphics we had on that that Twitter. That was a nice touch, Hawk. Uh, we're doing some some damn fine work out there. That's a credit to uh, Mr. Dan Swoboda out there, a, a great graphic designer who has uh, who's assisted the Redcast. We are absolutely stepping up our game. That's well, right. uh, some of our I love his work. Yeah, that's the <laughs> truth. Man. Uh, he should get paid for that. Um, wait a second. No one's getting paid for any of this. As should we all. <laughs> he did create well, some the, of the, the red... cover art for uh, Peterson's book, though, I heard. So that's, that's Oh, nice, nice. Uh, well, the red, red casters seem to be split on um, whether we're going to win the West or not, but it is a, is a good goal. Uh, BTN crew was in town, and maybe they're uh, also thinking maybe we have a chance to, to win the West. Uh, Honky, I know that uh, you were able to observe practice last week and um, – had some thoughts on the physical nature of, of practice. Uh, what do you got? Well, an observing practice is, is a nice way of saying it. I was sitting up in the in the track uh, stands. and, and Better than one most. The, yeah. One of the things I just absolutely love about Husker fans is I'm kind of sitting up there, and I watch 20 minutes of a practice one day, and there's With binoculars. 20, 20 or 25 <laughs> other fans that are lined up along the fence that kind of goes along the, <laughs> the northeast side of the stadium. It was – it was great. We're just sitting up there watching, and, and I don't have anything groundbreaking to tell you other than for someone that's been highly critical of what we would call the lack of physical practices, 
I didn't walk away feeling bad about that. I mean, I, I saw guys out there hitting, and, and they had some, some nice one-on-one drills with offensive line, defensive line, nothing groundbreaking here. Just it was nice and physical. The Probably the biggest thing I took away from was I watched Drew Brown kick field goals for about 10 minutes, and and it was full live, you know, 11-on-11. And not only did he not miss one, I don't think – I mean, it was the center of the – it was the center of the goalpost every time. He was nowhere near hitting a goalpost. It was perfect kick. So hopefully that's he can – probably, uh, hopefully probably he can, because can carry that over into the season. That's probably because he's actually attending practice in, in total instead of leaving only after a half hour of work, which apparently I read today is was standard practice under Bruce Reed. Uh, anybody else catch that? That guy well, had the easiest the kind of job quality, in, in uh, the country. Teams coaching. Yeah. You got it was unbelievable. I think it might have came from Sam McEwen and the Marvel Herald or somebody like that. said that they would usually spot Bruce Reed getting into his car, uh, leaving practice while they arrived. Um, he only would attend the first half uh, hour of a practice in the last two years. I was like, wow, that guy needed to go. Uh, unbelievable. Um, he wasn't really contributing I mean, either way, he no, might as well go. We, he collected four hundred thousand dollars for doing yeah. nothing. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he was he was he was stealing money. Wow. Yeah, that was good work if you can get it. That was thievery. Um, so you know the BTN guys were on campus today, and uh, you know they had some uh, actually pretty positive uh, review of practice, uh, the physicality of it, the energy level on both sides of the ball. Uh, impressed with Tanner Lee. Um, it was uh, a, a kind of a flip compared to last year's uh, uh, BTN report um, where Jerry DiNardo pretty much thought they uh, Huskers would be lucky to escape with a winning record. So I, I, I don't know what to take from that. It's only one practice, as like Honky said, but um, it's interesting to, to see that they've definitely seen differences over the, the course of uh, Riley's tenure here with this being by far the best practice out there. Uh, any word, guys, uh, Mac, Boomer, Honk, on uh, how the impact on some of these injuries we've had uh, recently um, is impacting uh, the team? Well, everything I've heard so far about the, you know, the defensive back, you know, with Chris Jones going down, um, it sounds like Eric Lee and uh, DiCaprio Boodle are are holding their own. I mean, obviously, we're going to have a drop off. We're talking about an all conference, possibly all American type player back there but um uh there was and you know we alluded to this earlier too there's talent back there and and it's nice to hear that the talent that we assume we have back there is starting to produce in a way that we're not feeling like it's such a huge loss i mean if it was going to happen in a position group and i think we talked about this before defensive back was a good spot if you're going to pick a spot you know they didn't have they had probably the least transitions or the least amount of transitioning to do in, in terms of the going from the 4-3 to the 3-4. I'm saying that a little ignorantly. Obviously, I don't know that for sure. But just, you know, you cover a guy. But, it, it, that, that pretty much stays the same for one Mac, scheme to what, what about the other side of the ball and the lack of depth at the wide receiver position now that we've lost Jevion McQuitty? Yeah, I mean, I look at that. That, that hurts. It looks, it looks like possibly a loss, but then probably at the end of the year he would have had 14 catches. I think we can make up with that, you know. And, we have and if those catches go to uh, wide receiver to to make up for that loss, uh, we have enough depth to to lose our number seven receiver. I'm 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 not ready to throw in the towel yet. Um, to Max's point, there uh, earlier today, Diaco mentioned uh, Boodle as a starter as well. He basically sees yeah. three starters on high that praise. corner right now, 
and you know, and I maintain what I said in the last two shows. We've got those three guys. You always have Kalu as a guy that you can pull back if necessary. They've they've moved Butler over there, so they've manufactured some depth. We've got guys like Avery Anderson that are just kind of floating around, but are past four star kids that were you know big time recruits. That there's depth. There are guys that will just have to step up. And if somebody gets hurt, last week we mentioned McQuitty as a as a receiver that could play as a true freshman. And then you know, knock on wood and go figure Murphy's Law, he gets hurt the next day, but. Um, those things are just going to happen. Then the next guys just have to step up. And and one advantage I always say Nebraska has over a lot of schools out there is the walk-on program still is it's prevalent here. I mean, it's we still have quite a few of these kids, and they fill into roles. The Brian Reimers and the Cole Conrads and all that. Those guys end up providing depth at times that you know, and in places you don't always expect. Speaking of. Um... Uh, you know, what we spoke about last week with injuries and curses. I think Boomer actually said that, you know, we were looking injury-free, and then Mac threw in that uh, that included the, the soft tissue injuries. And not only did we lose McQuitty, but there was uh, several other receivers that were uh, had some hamstring issues and, and whatnot. So we guys really did curse uh, the wide receiver core last week. Well, yeah, I think we learned no big red cast gets results. That's we learned something we about we learned something <laughs> about Boomer. He he said he went off on Friday night games and, and they're no longer being played. He said we don't you know we haven't had injuries and, and we started having them. So Boomer's got some kind of crazy you know curse ability here, and we've got to we got to kind of keep control of that. We have to learn how to harness it. Yeah, I need to use those powers for good, don't I? Anything else to right. to read in? I see Stoltenberg was sitting out uh, today, and I mean it seems like they're taking it pretty easy with with him. Um, but anything else uh, practice-wise we need to cover? No, I don't think – I mean, nothing out of the ordinary Silence. from last week. Nobody's been you – know, they had a, a 50 or an 89-play scrimmage, and, and they're trying to still identify the starting running back. But um, I I like what I'm hearing about Azigbo, and, and I know I like what I've seen out of Bryant, you know, what we saw of him in the spring – um, just those two guys alone, I feel really good about. Let alone what Bradley can do as a as a uh, depth, and then what Wilbon can bring in, in his kind of his uh, packages that that he can play. And so, you know, I'm I'm pretty pleased with that too. I love what I heard today from uh, from Donardo, basically saying with the offense that we look like what Wisconsin's offense would be. There's a lot of tie-in, obviously, between Christ and and Riley and their history there. So from a style standpoint, I know we can play the style that Iowa or Wisconsin, uh, what they play, that pro style, get under center, run downfield, have, you know, have tight ends and fullbacks. It's just will we, will we make that emphasis? Will Langsdorf be that type of OC to really push the, the power game? We'll find out. Yeah, it seemed like the BTN crew was implying they felt that that was a direction, but at the same time we have the, have the playmakers at the wide receiver position and, and – and the pro style QB, so it should be interesting. Um, yeah, speaking of the physical nature of Wisconsin and and Iowa, I have a. We've talked about this uh, quite a bit, and, and does does that actually is that recipe um, uh, a uh, one of success for Nebraska um, taking that Wisconsin Iowa approach? And we've gone back and forth on, the, on that a little bit. You know, I I, I have a, a theory, I guess, if you will, um, and it's that. You know, winning football teams look like physical football teams. Uh, and I, I say that in the sense that if you think about 
and we're talking about winning at a high level here, whether it's Nebraska with the national championships in the 90s or, um, you know, Miami teams that were more pro-style or more recently USC and, and Alabama. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you're a, a triple option or, or pro or whatever. Uh, if you're winning a national championship, you look like a physical team. Um, that's, that's typically the case. Even look at last year with Clemson. Uh, and not saying Alabama wasn't a physical team. I'm not saying that that um, you you make your opponent look weak per se, but it's hard to be a really good team and not look like you're you're uh, physically imposing and uh, your will on somebody else. Uh, any thoughts on that, guys? Am I up a uh, you know? Am I crazy on that? My my theory is that I mean, if you think of national championship teams over the past I don't know 35, 40 years of our collective memory and. How many of those teams were, quote unquote, finesse teams that you thought finesse their way to a title? It's just hard to do. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I I think one of the things with when we talk about a team being physical or finesse, uh, just to kind of cut through all the, the the BS of it, we're talking about offense. We're not. No one ever talks about the defense. Like Alabama, there, it's a it's a very valid thing to say that they they kind of got into more of a spread style and maybe that's not quite as physical but that's on the offensive side everyone would look at the defense and go oh my god those guys you know those guys you know were wicked out there how they played I think a great example that's OU in 2000 they were very Mark Mangino finesse passing the ball but they didn't win the title necessarily because of that they won it because of Rocky Calmus and all those guys on defense and they played they were as physical as it comes but to your point that question about you know Gosh, go back in the last 35 years. Yeah, you're looking at BYU winning it in 84. You're looking at Florida winning it the year after us. I mean, it's 96. The, the idea right. when we're talking about physical offense, it is pretty important, I think, to win national titles. It's pretty important to have a physical element of it. And I already know Mac is going to kind of beat me over the head for saying that because we've talked about like <laughs> Wisconsin before. I think on top of that, I'll throw the caveat is you better also have some special players at key positions on top of being physical. And that's probably one of the reasons why the Iowa's and the Wisconsin's just they've they've been able to beat a lot of good teams out there over the years, but they just haven't been able to to win over that hump. Nebraska in the nineties could be physical and run what a lot of people said was an outdated offense when everyone else was throwing the ball around. But we had some special players and a very physical style. It's fair. Would anyone have called Clemson last year a physical team? I mean, I'm looking at some numbers, just even from the national title game. I mean, the rushing yardage in that game. Uh, Alabama ran for 221 yards, Clemson 91. If you go into yeah, the I game don't... thinking you're going to be held under 100 yards rushing, would anyone assume you're going to win that game? I mean, well, I, I guess I, that's a good point, Michael. I guess my question there is, does, does running the football equal physicality? Or it, from an eye test standpoint, at the end of that game, did Clemson look like a physical team as they were just moving down the field against um, that Alabama defense? And it, 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 I guess from an eye test standpoint, it's hard for me to say Clemson looked like they're a finesse team that was just dinking and dunking and down the field. I, I could argue from like just a championship level, I, I think you could argue that West Coast offense, like the 49ers in the 80s, West Coast under Steve, uh, Steve Walsh, may, uh, Bill Walsh, excuse me. Um, that that was pretty, uh, maybe a pretty finesse team, I guess. Uh, and they won Super Bowls, but um, I, I don't know if that necessarily translates to, to college. But uh, I, I, just because the lack of a run production uh, doesn't indicate a, a 
a finesse team to me, I guess. I guess I look at the Niners back then, and, and maybe it's the bias of having two Huskers in the backfield and a guy like Rath. No, but, no. But that they're, I didn't necessarily look at them as being finesse. Um, I just looked at them as being balanced, and that's obviously a word we've we've heard a lot about. Yeah, I you know I don't know. I, I think a little bit with what Clemson did last year, and even though a team like Oregon didn't win the national title a few years ago, they still at least have made two national title games in the in recent years. True. Has the trend maybe changed a little bit on offense to where you can, if you can out physical a team in some cases, can you just out? play them in terms of the number of plays i mean i i, I don't yeah, have Clemson the stats had 99 snaps last yeah, year 99 snaps. So, they just, so i think there's different ways to out physical somebody and correct and clemson out physical alabama by pure repetition and and again this is we're all talking about physical offense here and everyone would look at clemson's defense and say okay those guys they played physical football absolutely there's, there was no question about that yeah i, I yeah I, I i don't know there i mean that's i i think with with the, the offenses have changed. There's there's no doubt about that in terms of, you know, you kind of have two different approaches here. You can be an Oregon or a Clemson, and if you maybe don't have the talent, and that's the word we always hear about, talent. If you don't have the talent, maybe you can run the spread offense, and that can negate some of those talent deficiencies you have. Well, the opposite side is if you're Wisconsin and you don't have the talent of an LSU, you can negate some of it by running the ball, controlling the clock. And, you know, it's two different ways to kind of do the same outcome, which is negate some kind of talent deficiency, assuming we're not all USC's and, and Alabama's. Well, uh, to, to that point, Honk, of, I mean, Clemson getting 99 plays off versus Alabama and a, a – a play in the first quarter that may have only produced a yard or two suddenly was breaking for 50 in the fourth quarter. Uh, could you say the same thing about um, some of the best Husker teams where, um, especially against some of our tougher opponents, that um, you know over, over the course of a, a game, uh, that option play that might be only went for three yards um, because the defense was disciplined and played assignment football in the first quarter, um, broke wide open in the second half because of just the the – the constant, you know, uh, snaps that was going against that, that defense? Yeah, I think, well, again, I'm going to go back to a physical or a good offense is a lot of times based off of having that good physical defense. So when Charlie McBride and our defenses were at their best, that allowed you to get your offense back on the field, run more plays, wear teams down. Brent Venables at, at Clemson allowed their offense to have 99 plays. That's right. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, when Osborne retired, we had never given up 50 or more points in a game in 25 years under Osborne. As I was at the Colorado game in 2001, and, and as that 50 first, you know, flipped on the on the scoreboard, that's the first time in my lifetime I'd seen that many points against us, eventually ending at 62 points. That's something that a Heisman quarterback, sometimes you'll hear quarterbacks get, you know, compared. Who's better, Crouch or Frazier? Well, Frazier never had to compete against 62 points. I'll just say that in defense of, I guess, a Crouch, and I'm not trying to defend him here, but Crouch Absolutely. had to, Crouch goes out and puts up, what, 36 points in that game on the road in Colorado, and that's not good enough. That makes your offense not look as good, and sometimes that's not fair. So it, it back to the point of that having that great, powerful, physical defense, which Clemson's had, which Alabama's had, which Oregon didn't have, Maybe that's, that's right. the thing, you know, we spend so much focus talking about physical offense. I, I'm guilty of it, and at the end of the day, it's that defense. I think that's a really good point. Defense has to get um, that offense back out on the field. 
Um, I, I guess Solich could really blame his defensive coordinator at the time. The guy really failed him. That I'm Craig sure he Bowl didn't do anything was, afterwards. Bowl is just terrible. I, I, I would never I would never want Bowl as a coach. And later we might talk about it. Actually, I really like Craig Bowl, but that's not the, <laughs> that's not the point. Uh, guys, anything else on that? We will get to group of five here. We're going to break that down a little bit later in the show. We're also going to break down uh, the SEC conference race. Uh, but before we get there, um, Boomer, do we have a trivia question? Trivia time. Yes, we do. Uh, sticking with our SEC theme for the day. Of the 14 teams currently in the SEC, Nebraska has faced 10 of them in bowl games. Which four haven't we played in a bowl? I know immediately Vanderbilt we have not played in a bowl. That's right. We have not played A&M in a bowl. We've not played Missouri in a bowl. Those were easy. And we've not played South Carolina in a bowl. South Carolina, Vanderbilt, A&M, Missouri. And we've played everyone else in a bowl. Oh, no, sorry, Honky. You were were close. Stop, stop, stop. three out of the four. Wait a second. It's too late, man. Can you repeat the question one more time? Yes. Let them them play. Of the 14 current SEC schools, we have played 10 of them in bowl games. Name the four we have never played in a bowl game. Oh, we played South Carolina a few years ago. Uh, uh, yes, we yeah. did. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. I think McGuire said, Max said Kentucky. Kentucky. We didn't play Kentucky right. in a bowl game, right. have we? Kentucky. Has to be. Yes, that is correct. Damn the correct it. four are A&M and Missouri. You know, granted, we were in the same conference with Missouri for so long. It would be very difficult to play them in a bowl. A&M, surprisingly, we never faced in a bowl game at any point in pre-Big 12 era. That kind of surprised me a little bit. And we have never played Kentucky and Vanderbilt in any context whatsoever. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm kicking myself. You should. Honky, that was really dumb. I mean. That's just. South Carolina, dude? That's dude. so played them in unacceptable. Cap one bowl. <laughs> so as you said that, I was like, huh? Maybe I misheard the question when Honky said South Carolina. Oh, my like, gosh. Maybe, maybe yeah, they caught, the, they caught the Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Oh, my gosh. Oh, sure. Yeah, Quincy Sheesh. had the big catch, 99 yards. I'm Short-term memory loss. Yes. You're listening to the Go Big Redcast. And now, sweep left. All right, next on the Go Big Redcast, we are going sweep left. That's our wide angle view of college football and doing a breakdown of the race in the SEC, the fearsome Southeastern Conference. Uh, guys, uh, Alabama is always the team to beat out there, but that might be uh, even more so the case uh, this year. It seems like it's Alabama and everyone else without a clear-cut uh, challenger um, on either either side of the conference uh, uh, divisions. Uh, any thoughts here on um, who's going to at least give a scare to Alabama? It seems like uh, Saban teams always lose once, right? So who is that going to be this year that at least uh, gives us a, a question mark on that Alabama team? Of course, that had typically been uh, Hugh Freeze at Old Miss lately, so <laughs> That's they, they kind of took it's care true. of that uh, Pure Houston nuts collecting a little money from uh, Saban as we speak. is a very so, well yeah. organized machine, Boomer. They and they, if they have issues, they want to clear them out, you know. And Hugh Freeze was causing issues with Alabama, so they got rid of them. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> maybe maybe did it to himself. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, who who on that uh, Alabama uh, schedule uh, could actually give them 
any sort of uh, scare. I mean, they have obviously all the South, uh, the West Division teams, but their their crossovers uh, include Vanderbilt, Tennessee. Um, yeah, that's it. Well, well I don't probably uh, rule out Vanderbilt. Yeah, I don't think that <laughs> it's it's at Vanderbilt, guys. Let's let's not just rule. Uh, them out completely. I don't. Okay, I don't think second. the November eighteenth game against Mercer is going to give them much trouble. But and Mercer gets well, to play. We'll bring that back up. That's a classic uh, free bye week. The SEC schedulers. Yeah. Mercer gets to yeah. play both yeah. both teams in Alabama. They play Auburn as well. And I guess segueing into Auburn, Bama plays the Iron Bowl at Auburn. So that's always going to be a you know a potential hiccup there. They play at A and M. That's big talk that's on. A tough um, one. Talking about transfer transfer quarterbacks like Tanner Lee, uh, Jarrett Stidham uh, is, was announced as the starter at Auburn. I think that was expected, but I think Malzahn finally made it uh, official, and he's pretty highly regarded guy out, uh, who played at Baylor his freshman mm-hmm. year out before he got injured. Um, could be a, a spark plug for that uh, Auburn offense. Um, so that, that that could be somebody that I think gives Alabama the the scare, I guess. I mean, obviously we're, we're talking about Alabama and it kind of all starts and ends with Alabama and the SEC for the, the greater point of the, this decade, to be honest. Um, yep. Their schedule starts off with Florida state in that first weekend, huge game. And it's interesting to see just what the outcome of that's going to be, because you can look at last year when they played USC. I mean, that game had a kind of a major effect on how USC responded over the next couple of weeks, I mean, they it, and then eventually they got it turned around. But I mean, they they came out of the, sh- the shoot struggling. Florida State's the one team that physically, talent wise, can absolutely match up with with Alabama, and you just you never know. I mean, this could be a nail biter down to the end, or one team could get hot in the first week, and you know, if Flor- what if Florida State goes out and does something to Bama that we haven't seen done to Bama in a while? I mean, that can. Right, that can happen, and then how, happen. how would that how would that affect? Well, let's Alabama? Let's run with that theory for just a second. Let's say Florida State, you know, beats Alabama by a couple touchdowns and looks pretty good doing it, and Alabama does suffer their typical one conference loss. Um, does a eleven and two SEC champion Alabama still walk into the playoff? Easily, they'll never stop them. There's just no way. <laughs> Whoever wins the SEC goes. Yeah, especially else? with one of those losses being to Florida State, who I think everyone's picked is ACC favorite. Unless you had every other sure. major conference go undefeated, I think, then you'd have a good argument to keep a two-loss SEC team out of there. But, uh, you know, the ESPN has voters at least on all the time, or at least in the playoff committee. So I think there'd be... There'd be an outcry, I think, if an Alabama two losses or not didn't make the playoffs. Well, and, and we have a, a Twitter question from Tony Hayek who asked, will we ever see the college football expand to more than four teams? That would be the thing that would do it if the SEC ever didn't make it. <laughs> oh, you bet. We might expand this It'd year. It'd probably be retroactive to the start the of the season. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they expanded they the first weekend of December. But um, There you go, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that's a good good call. I mean, if the SEC ever would get left out, especially in Alabama – um, it, it could be uh, something that would prompt that change. Um, it's surely not a, a group of five team that's that's missing out on it, uh, but they could benefit the most by going to six or eight, I suppose, uh, giving those guys a, a shot. We can maybe dive into that a little bit more um, when we when we talk group of five. Uh, any other uh, reads on on SEC uh, coaches, uh, players of, of an interest? Uh, Mac, you've always been a Georgia running back guy. Is there? It's Chubb and who's the other guy down there? 
Yeah, no one's jumped out at me on their on their roster this year. Chubb's okay. He didn't move the the needle too much for me. I do like their quarterback. I I, I look for him to have a you pretty strong be, yeah. sophomore season. Yeah. And you know, they've got Georgia's got a ton of talent. You know, that's kind of like uh, I always look at them like well back when Missouri was with the Big Twelve. You know, like that's a state with a ton of talent. You know, at any point they should be able to put that together and make a really strong run, but. It never happens, so <laughs> we'll just continue to watch and wait. But, <laughs> but they get tons of talent in through there all the time, and you'd argue that, I mean, Georgia gets some of the best quarterback talent coming through their program, so I don't know. One of these days they're going to put it together. Yeah, they've lost three straight to Florida in the East, and we've talked a lot yeah. about, and we hear a lot about, you know, the Big Ten East being so dominant to the West, and last week we were talking about the ACC Atlantic being so much better than the Coastal the SEC West has been as dominant against the other side as any divisional kind of, you know, matchups as it's come. I mean, the East has been absolutely dominated ever since Urban Meyer left Florida. I mean, speaking of that, since he left Florida, Florida's gone 48 and 29. So, um, and, 48 and, and 29. Yeah, and they haven't been a part of the national championship scene since he's left there. That's really kind of some of the, I don't want to call it the farce of the SEC, well, no, I guess I will. The SEC likes to claim. There you go. The, the SEC likes to claim when they have a title that comes out of it, but the reality is, is that it's not like the conference gets to share in all the glory. They have two coaches who have basically won. Oh gosh, between the two of them, I had it. I had the stat one point, but I mean they they've won probably Meyer seven and, and Saban have won what like seven of the last ten or eleven. Well, if you include Meyer's Ohio State, and, it's probably eight. Yeah. Right. And that, that's I mean, that's the thing. They've won them at four different schools, LSU, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, and Florida. Four different schools have won it with two coaches just in the last, since 2003, 2004, whenever Saban won that one with LSU. So it, it's just in Yeah, the it SEC, take, takes Auburn with uh, almost a once-in-a-decade a type talent of Cam Newton to, to win a title there. And... Um, then LSU had had with less miles with a two loss year, which was a very odd season where LSU almost got to that title game by uh, just default essentially. Um, besides that, besides those two uh, title games, am I mistaken on that? That that's it's just Meyer and Saban for all the SEC titles. Is that correct? With the ex- yeah, with uh, the exception Auburn, of Miles winning that one in in, or, yeah. in yeah, I mentioned then, Auburn Chizik, with yeah. Cam Newton, but yep. Gene Chizik isn't even a head coach any right. longer. Uh, unless mm-hmm. Miles is no longer a head coach any longer. Now it was just um, those schools. That was it. Yeah. That's an incredible statistic and, and really impressive by both of those coaches. I mean, as hard as college football is today. Yeah. That is, and, and to do it at two different programs each, yeah. that's really spectacular It's coaching. a pretty that's unique pretty good. Uh, era here where you have, I mean, in uh, 20 years from now, uh, we're going to remember this because it it's, it's doesn't happen very often when you have that no, much dominance. That's huge. And and because of their dominance, you, you only have is that is I think there's only four active head coaches with uh, a national title to their resume since because Stoops, of Stoops left. retirement. Yeah, you just have Jumbo yeah. Fisher, uh, obviously Dabo, and now and Dabo. Urban and and Saban. That's really extraordinary if you think about it, you know. I mean, that's 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 something. Uh, and the How SEC many is very good at claiming uh, their you know the glory across their their conference. They are very proud of their conference ac- accomplishments. Uh, you know they chant their their uh, their name, and uh, it, it has influenced college football in, in in many ways. I think there's probably more pride in the Big Ten today 
than there was 10 years ago, um, just in the sense that you have to have to have that type of pride to, to match the SEC's, um, you know, uh, uh, talk, right? Hey, how many active coaches right now have a CFL championship? Mm. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Because, I mean, if we're just counting, <laughs> one. I'm the only other active uh, head coach that at least even coached in the CFL probably would be Tedford out at Fresno State. He just came from the CFL, but I don't know. Ooh, uh, yeah, I don't think Dave, he won man. the championship last year, so I'm thinking it's Mike Riley. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. You know, the, the SEC has had a, a – they have a ton of talent down there. No one questions that. They have a lot of NFL players there. Oh, and they've the got truth. the stats to prove that. But that doesn't always equate to being great teams or not. I mean, you look at LSU last year when they lost to Wisconsin. Everyone would look at LSU's um, roster, and of course they're going to have you know just gobs of NFL guys on that. But they still yeah. lost. Um, I looked at that game when when LSU played Wisconsin. I was more shocked that they played north of the Mason-Dixon line because that's harder than heck to get an SEC team to play up north. Now, I, yeah. I posted on Twitter one time, and and some guy who knows the Mason-Dixon line way better than I do, he, he he broke down every game that was played even three you know miles north of it. And I I get it. My point is, is that teams down in the SEC Andover, Maryland <laughs> they don't like to play up north very often. Um, you know, Boomer, you've, you've hit on this quite a few times. It's, it's funny that once Missouri got into the SEC, it's amazing the teams that don't have to play at Missouri in November. You know, they, oh, it's, it's odd. They That's, find ways yeah. to get Vanderbilt and Arkansas up there, but the Alabama and Kentucky's and always seems to be there, too. It's amazing. Yeah, Kentucky yeah. goes up there. But, no, you know, you'll never see snow associated with some of those, those southern schools. And I guess as a northern fan who, who has had to watch our team – play you know enough teams at home in bowl games over the years and all that it 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 you know i don't know it it would be nice to see somebody have to come up to lincoln you know in november missouri's last home game this year is november 11th with tennessee visiting yeah november 11th tennessee yeah uh last year arkansas uh was their last home game and then vanderbilt year before tennessee um yeah they uh, Arkansas the year before, A and M. Yeah, none of the actual Deep South schools have ever gone up to to Missouri in November. Purely a scheduling quirk, I'm sure. Yeah, not, just not, on, not just by coincidence. It, what's yeah. interesting, but I mean, to the is, neutrals. Go ahead, Hunk. Oh, I was gonna say what's interesting to me is I've I've been a little bit vocal on on Twitter and just in general our discussions. I've been vocal about SEC bias, and usually when I bring up SEC bias, of all things, the the people that tend to, to fight back on that as much as anyone are Alabama fans. And I think that they're trained to do so because they've been so dominant that they're such a lightning rod. And guess what? If there's ever a fan base out there that can understand that, it would be Husker fans of our age or you know older that went through that same thing when you are a dynasty, you're a lightning rod. The reality is, is that for all the SEC bias stuff that goes on out there, I do believe that. I think there's SEC bias. I don't think the SEC is nearly as great of a conference as a whole as it is. The people that should be on my side are Alabama fans because I'm telling you, Alabama's been unbelievable. You have been dominant. Yeah. I, I am honestly, I'm bowing to, to what Saban has been able to do at Alabama here for uh, the greater part of 10 years. It's been amazing, yeah. just like what Urban Meyer has done at Florida and then moved on to you know Ohio State. What, what he's done is amazing. What you've done is amazing. Uh, Alabama and what you've done, Saban, is amazing. What you've I'm done, glad you're, is, you're talking to all of our Alabama listeners here, Honk. I, yes, I think I'm, I'm really going to. But, <laughs> but what you've done, SEC, is ri- ridden most the, of our the stuff gets back to Saban. 
<laughs> well, I, I guess yeah, yeah, I, just, I know, I I know to, Nick listens to us. I just equate it to like the 1960s and 70s when UCLA was winning all those basketball titles. I don't know that people sure. back then were saying, you know, the Pac-8 is the best conference in the country or if they were just saying, hey, UCLA's yeah. really good. John Wooden's pretty yeah. darn good. I mean, I think that's what they were saying back then. I wasn't alive, but that's what I would presume they're saying. So I just don't know where the SEC comes off saying that they as a conference have accomplished so much when it's really been accomplished by basically two coaches. Well, two coaches. And now and then one for the last coaches, at least as we five, said earlier, that have been fired. And now, yeah, yeah the one no. that... And when one of them left, that school's gone 48 and 29. And the school that he took over in the Big Ten has been pretty darn good. And and he's changed yeah. the perception of the Big Ten, the way, you know, Meyer has done to the Big Ten what Saban did to the SEC. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think uh, SEC just does a really great job of marketing themselves and promoting. I mean, another part of that is those neutral site games. Uh, I mean, Boomer, you've broken it down before, but I mean, uh, and, and, and Alabama just does this every year now, right? I mean, they play a neutral side game to start the season, essentially. Um, and they just don't leave the South because of it. They get a, a, a top-flight, non-conference opponent, uh, typically somewhere near the SEC footprint, if not in it. Uh, they get credit for that win, essentially, um, but never have to go on the road and visit somebody else's campus. Uh, it's brilliant. It is. And actually, I, th- I believe that is actually their announced plan is they will not schedule a non-conference game at a actual opponent's college. It's a neutral site or Alabama. That's their stated goal. And I guess when they're winning national titles the way they are and doing making the playoffs every year, I guess they can do what they want. You know, people are going to bow to that. Frankly, I'd yeah, rather I, see. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the finances of the, how this works, though, right? I mean, doesn't I mean, doesn't it make sense to have home and aways, and that impacts the? I mean, Lincoln makes millions of dollars a year from of just one home game. Um, you think Tuscaloosa would be like, hey, uh, you know, Alabama, Alabama, I'd love to have a home and away with Florida State. So sure, we miss out that one year, but then we get get that, uh, you know, the following year. But instead, they just they just lose an, an additional game. I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me sometimes. No, I don't think it does either, at least for most schools that seem to run the these fan base has games. to travel to Atlanta right. or whatever always? I mean. Well, not like most of them have jobs or anything anyway at Alabama, so that's okay. <laughs> oh! But sorry to all of our fans in Mobile. I know we've got a huge listener base in Alabama, so we'll, uh, we'll take that back. So That's okay. Do you think that's Twitter, the way it's Twitter followers are leaving us in droves now, Boomer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Boomer, Boomer, do you think that's that's how it's trending these days where we'll just see when two uh, non-conference opponents like super teams play each other that we'll only see these and these neutral well, sites and we're going to lose the home and home and home well, series because I mean, that almost looks that yeah, way. If you just look at this week, we saw Notre Dame and Wisconsin announcing a series in Lambeau Field and Soldier Field. Yeah, which well, I, I I don't understand that one bit. Uh, it's not like it's any more convenient for their fan base. It just lets make everybody travel or it's cool venue. Yeah, and isn't but, Wisconsin's going to be the away team in that too? Aren't probably, they? Probably, yeah, because that makes well, it all better. One I, I don't understand. Well, they'd be. Yeah, it just kind of robs your fans. I mean, you've got a chance to. I mean, it's such a great event when a big team finally comes to your town. You know, those are always fun. You you know, especially a non-conference one you don't play very often. You get to interact with their fans on your home turf. You're kind of showing off your hometown pride. Yeah. You know, and your school well, and your campus I, and everything that right. it has to offer. And instead, let's go play it in a major city in an NFL. You know, sterile NFL stadium. I don't understand. Yeah, that. where nobody knows exactly where to right. go. You know, nothing's. 
it, it takes all the uh, pageantry out of the college football experience, which, you know, I guess is the end result, right? More money. At least in the short term it is. And the mm-hmm. crazy thing to me is a little I – I guess I don't know all the finances behind it, but to me it's, it's amazing that we have stadiums like Notre Dame Stadium that – did a major addition back in the mid-90s and now is currently under multi, multi tens of millions of dollars of, of more additions to it, to Notre Dame Stadium, so that they don't have to play games like this there. Uh, Camp Randall, I mean, that doesn't take a backseat any place in terms of size and the pageantry and everything that comes along with it. And all we're doing is we're, we're, we're making it harder and harder for fans. Mike, you went off last week on Friday night games. Here, you know, you have opportunities to have great home and away games, and you're not playing them at home. You know, mm-hmm. when when if we're going to spend money on Memorial Stadium, you'll always hear the 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 comment that it's about well, it's only used six or seven times a year. Well, now we're we're saying, if we ever got to that point, it'd be like, well, let's take it one more game away. It doesn't make sense. In terms of Wisconsin and Notre Dame, I looked up the the distances. It was like two and a half hours roughly for each one of them for South Bend to Chicago, which it's that's the home game for Notre Dame. Wisconsin is playing their home game of that series in Green Bay. That's about a two-and-a-half-hour trip. Imagine Nebraska-Oklahoma, who are playing in 21 and 22. Imagine us playing Oklahoma at KC, where we're the home team, and Oklahoma playing at Jerry Dome. It could happen. Those are about two-and-a-half, three-hour yeah. drives. I mean, why That's not? That's a fair comparison. But but you look at it and you go, why would you do that? Why, why wouldn't you have that at Owen Field and Memorial Stadium? I mean, that makes sense. That's where those games should be played. And so this, I know this started off as an SEC talk, and I think this is kind of like one of the worst things that the SEC has really been a part of starting is these neutral side games. Sure. They've been right at the core of it. It's now filtered into a Wisconsin-Notre Dame game that, that's not going to be played home and away. Um, we talked about it a little bit last week with, with uh, FCS schools. You know, the Big Ten got away from that, and now we're kind of going back into it. I mean, those aren't – to me, those aren't the directions. Those aren't some of the – those aren't some of the things that are going on in college football right now that I want to keep emulating and keep doing over and over again. I thought we made a good move getting away from FCS. Now we're back into it. I don't want us to get into that neutral site garbage at Nebraska. I think that's just part of the risk of the SEC constantly continuing to get rewarded for these kind of moves, playing those quote-unquote neutral site games that are conveniently 100 miles from their campus or so and playing those FCS schools in November, which might as well be a bye week at that point. They, they're not in any yeah, way punished for these sorts of things when it comes to, you know, playoff standings or rankings or anything like that. So I guess I can kind of see the arguments from the Big Ten and, you know, Pac-12 or whoever else is, if they can get it's away with weird. it, why are we making things more challenging for ourselves? Granted, I would hate to see us do that for all the reasons we've laid out. There's a bit of history in the SEC of, of, of neutral site games where you would have the Iron Bowl used to be played up in Birmingham or the, the cocktail yep, party, right. you know, for Florida and Georgia has always been, what, in Jacksonville, is it? Um, correct. Yep, so, that's correct. So, you know, I mean, and, and those were – but those are more tradition kind of things. That's like Oklahoma and Texas playing in the Cotton Bowl. And so, you know, but I right. think Right, if it's they're steeped like, in tradition, it's not so bad. Yes. This, this whole new thing – I think Alabama had a home and away with Michigan State at one point that they they pulled out of, if I, if I remember reading that correctly, and – they kind of had mixed messages on why they did it, but the reality was that it opened up some neutral site games for them, and that's now that's just that's just the way it is. So if you're in the SEC, you have a good chance of not having to play a non-conference uh, away game. You have a good chance of playing an FCS team in November. 
You're going to play eight teams in your conference. And so when you can build the bias that the SEC is the best conference in the country, then that makes it that makes that sound tough. When you realize that they had a bunch of eight and four teams last year in Alabama playing only eight conference games doesn't look it doesn't look as tough there, you know, and I mean and and I think you're starting to see a lot of people nationally starting to to wisen up and whether that's I know ESPN is a part of this bias and gosh, you got people that were on ESPN that would speak up the speak up the SEC and then they leave ESPN or were forced to leave and now all of a sudden they're not speaking as highly of it. And I there's yeah, several examples that, that, that you know we would have of that. Um I I don't know I don't know what it is, but I guess to get back to that, that original point of what we're talking about, Alabama, let me be very clear, they are amazing at what they've done. Saban is an amazing coach. Love him or hate him, he's an amazing amazing coach. They've been an amazing program. I just think the rest of the conference has absolutely ridden the, the coattails of Alabama ever since Meyer left and, and when they had two top flight coaches there. Yeah, I mean, I think you see that with the polls as they go through. Uh, A&M always rises up really high because they beat someone early, and, and same thing with Ole Miss or somebody. And then by the end of the year, they, they finished 9-4. and four And um, uh, they, they had a great year, but they still had four losses. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, I think that's a, that's a heck of a good uh, SEC uh, breakdown. Maybe not of this year, but just of the conference. Uh, you want to wrap this up, guys, with uh, some, any sort of bold predictions? Uh, everyone taking Alabama. Alabama will win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, does anyone have like any any surprise teams? I guess we spent the whole stinking time just talking about that and Bama. But I mean, does anybody have somebody they think is going to kind of? I guess you have to go to the East because we all think on the West, obviously, yeah. Bama's going to win it. So. I, well, I mean, how often does the SEC ever really surprise you with end results by the end of the year? It's, it's not like the ACC no, where Georgia no. Tech wins. So, well, I, Georgia and Tennessee will be preseason top 15. They'll have all the talent in the world, and then they'll end up, you know, almost losing to Appalachian State like Tennessee should have in the first week last year. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's – I don't see anybody – I think the SEC might be down this year. I mean, I just feel like they might – there's a lot of work to be done in that conference – in terms of coaching and, and some young players that need to step up, I don't. know. There's a lot of question marks. It does seem like it's down. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not. It's not going to be a, a difficult, uh, but I mean they don't have anybody who's a, a hot team per se this year, like Tennessee last year, where everybody was like, oh, they're they they could do it this year. Um, I don't see anybody out there except maybe I guess maybe Florida. I guess some people think are are, are high on, and same thing with Auburn. I think depending depending on. Uh, Molzon's offense with Stidham as their their QB. There's no one outside of them that really seems to be threatening um, per se. So I, know, I think all four of us. I break my own on. rule here talking about the West, but what about does LSU with Etling at QB? Any amazing how many Purdue quarterbacks have gone on to start in the SEC? But I mean, yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I I don't see. Etling is a championship type quarterback. Um, uh, I, I do like their their tailback, uh, Darius uh, Juice. I think is how you pronounce his name. He's he's uh, exciting. It's supposed to be a pretty solid uh, fill in for uh, Fournette, but um, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see what Oradron can do there with you know a full year and and how that offense opens up um, without Miles' shackles on them. But um, I think LSU's got a, a 
bad situation in the sense that remember last year the Florida game got canceled because of that hurricane that never happened, mm-hmm. um, and they moved it to LSU. Uh, they insisted, so now they have to actually go play at Florida this year. So they got an extra road game, and it's at Florida. So I mean, I, I don't think uh, mm-hmm. that that sits well for them in my my take. Yep. It'll be interesting week two. Auburn plays at Clemson. I know that's not a conference game, but that's a that's a definitely a interesting non conference one to watch. Yeah, other other early games. LSU does play BYU in a, a neutral site game in Houston. No way. I refuse to believe yeah. that. Shocking. A and M uh, does go play at UCLA. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's a, a Sunday game first weekend. Uh, They're new to the conference. They haven't figured all out. The <laughs> they probably actually yet. scheduled that back in the Big Twelve era. It'd be there was probably a strongly worded memo that came yeah. down the line after that. Ole, Ole no Miss, more. Ole Miss starts off the season with South Alabama, UT Martin, and then goes to California. Uh, so they're really hey, at least they themselves. play a Pac-12 school. There was, I think it was 2014 and 15, two straight years. Ole Miss and Mississippi State both didn't play a single Power 5 conference school, and they had eight yeah. tries each. So, you know, it was until Ole Miss lost last year to Florida State to start the year off. That was the first time they'd played a, a Power 5 non-conference school during the season. I mean, in like three years since they played Texas, looks, I think, in 2013. It's just insane. It looks like BYU is an honor member of the SEC West this year. They also played Mississippi State. Mississippi State's other non-conference games, Charleston Southern, La Tech, and Massachusetts. Uh, so Of course. Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. UAB's back on the schedule of the SEC, so they can beat up on those guys again. I mean, you know, uh, Florida does play Michigan also in another neutral site game at Jerry World first weekend. Uh, that that should actually be a, a pretty interesting matchup. But it's another one of those neutral site games, um, and nowhere near Michigan, obviously. Georgia does go up to Notre Dame uh, in week two which is uh, pretty interesting. So there's breaking the SEC mold. I don't know how they got swindled into that. Probably thought it was uh, Notre Dame of North Carolina or something like that. Easily confused. <laughs> that's right. That would be an interesting one. Uh, that's, 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 that's bold for their, their scheduling. South Carolina starts with NC State, and neutral site game in Charlotte. You know, good, necessary to play neutral site there. Missouri starts with Missouri State, so that'll, that'll be tough. All right, guys. Well, um, since we've uh, not needed to actually argue who was going to win the SEC, we're all in Alabama's camp. Uh, we've, we've done the best we can with arguing other things about the SEC. And now on the Go Big Redcast, let's uh, go ahead and jump into multiple conferences. The group of five, the G5 Breakdown. These are the teams from the non-Power 5 uh, leagues that um, can put out some pretty quality football at times. Uh, Mac, he lives up in Fort Collins where the, the Rams of Colorado State are. Um, we have a lot of Husker ties with some of these uh, these schools uh, with coaches or, or players. Um, and I think really the bottom line of, of, of this segment is like, there's always a group of five team that is going to make a run at, and uh, if they finish high enough in the uh, the poll, we'll get a, a New Year's Day six bowl game. 
Um, and the, the question really out to you guys is, uh, who are you picking? Uh, what, what's your team that you think will make that run this year? Um, uh, last year, Western Michigan uh, uh, went undefeated in the MAC and lost to Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. In a pretty competitive game, um, but there's uh, some other good uh, uh, group of five teams out there last year as well. Uh, Honky, I know you've been itching uh, for one of your favorite uh, Mountain West teams this year. Uh, you got a take? Well, I'm going to piggyback off of what you just talked about with Western Michigan a year ago, and and they go out and they make it into the to the group of six bowl games or wherever those are, and, and PJ Fleck ends up at Minnesota. Herman uh, does well down at Houston, ends up at Texas. I think a coach that this is the season that he's going to get himself back into the into the big time is Craig Bowl, and I joked about him a little bit earlier, but I think the turnaround that he's done since leaving in disgrace from Nebraska as a, as a defensive coordinator, what he's done at North Dakota State, now what he's built going into year four at Wyoming, uh, I think this is a, a season that they have a great chance of, uh, of really making some noise. And they can make some noise right in September. They start off in week one, they're at Iowa. And I actually think that Iowa can can be pretty decent this season they've got a lot of linemen back uh and you know they have an experienced offensive line which is always key for them and yet I can absolutely 100% see Wyoming going into to Iowa on week one and winning uh they get through that game in week two they play uh, Gardner Webb and then in week three they play Oregon in Laramie in the highest elevation field in, in the country and Oregon's coming a week after playing Nebraska. Now, heaven forbid, and gosh, I don't even want to try to go down a route, but could you imagine Nebraska losing to Oregon and then Oregon turning around the next week and losing to, to Wyoming? That would that just scares the heck out of me. Point is, what does what, what does Wyoming have? They have Josh Allen at quarterback, and he is right now he's being viewed as a first-rounder. And if he was a first-rounder, um, holy smokes, you've got Craig Bull all of a sudden becoming the quarterback whisperer between uh, – Allen and Carson Wentz, who went second in the draft of the Eagles from North Dakota State. What I like about Wyoming, they're a physical bunch. Uh, you know, they, they've gone out, and I've, I've been pretty big on getting Nebraska kids whenever possible. And he, cer- <laughs> oh, really? he certainly ha- has been able to do so. They got three in this last class. They've got kids like uh, C.J. Johnson, Cluster's son, is going to be starting for him as They'll a receiver. And I'll him. tell you what, you know. C.J. Johnson would look pretty good in, in red right now with some of the injuries and, and everything that we've had at the, the wide receiver spot. plenty of depth, spot. though, Honk. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the the receiver depth, though, no. But they'll have a defensive tackle from Grand Island that's starting. Well, I mean, they've, they've – they, But the, this – I've just got to read this here. This was an awesome comment that Craig Bull, he made about recruiting West Coast kids. And he said, that it. They will do what, what we ask them to do. Now we've got to – now we've got to smart with what we – now we've got to smart with what we ask them to do. But it's – but, but that it in football can go a hell of a lot further than what people think, and that's a story. That right there is a story. Like the guy that's running out there on the West Coast, that's a five-star guy that's been shopping around, and thinks it's all warm and fuzzy. When the rubber meets the road, they're gonna spit the bit out. We're gonna have our hand in the dirt and knock the s out of you. That is what uh, Craig Bull has recruited for for three years to to Wyoming. That's the kind of program he's built. I think Wyoming is gonna be uh, the team that's gonna make it out of the group of five. That's interesting. I mean, I, I like Josh Allen. I, I get that pick. Um, I'm a little surprised that you're so high on Wyoming based off of that quarterback 
um, when they did lose um, their uh, their top flight running back last year, Hill, who had almost 2,000 yards and is the, was the war horse for, for Bulls offense, and they don't have anybody replacing him of note. So uh, I'm curious why you're so high on a team that is going to be dependent on their quarterback to move the ball. But, hey, uh, whatever. Um, sure, I'll, 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 I'll take your pick of Wyoming. Um, Boomer, uh, what do you got? Well, I've always had a bit of a predilection towards uh, Maction and kind of enjoy Mac Conference football. Oh, Maction's great. Yep, yep, it's fun to watch. Like Tuesdays in October and November. Nothing better than that. Nothing screams football than a random Tuesday in Toledo or something like that. It's a glass bowl. Yeah, it is. I I enjoy watching it. Um, Kind of breaking it down, I don't think anyone's going to come out of the Mac kind of like Western Michigan did last year and go undefeated up until the bowl. I think it's just a, a lot to chew on from those teams and asking a lot of them to do that again. Uh, Western Michigan especially, losing uh, P.J. Fleck as coach, and I believe their uh, quarterback left too, so they're going to have a kind of a tougher to overcome and bounce back from that, I think. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting teams there. Uh, you know, the two that, of course, come to mind, first off, is the Fighting Frankies of Ohio. I think everyone always kind of, at least, Pays a little bit of attention to them here in the Go Big Red cast just to kind of see what they're doing. They've Frank's kind of resurrected a career there for himself. I believe he's made bowl games, what, eight out of the nine years he's oh, been there, I think. Yeah, so absolutely. From a school like Ohio, I mean, my God, if they don't build a statue to him there by the time it's all said and done, I mean, I don't know what else they're expecting from him. Uh, I think they've got a chance to compete uh, win the MAC. It's possible. Um, I... I I'm mostly interested with Ohio to see how they perform in two uh, non-conference games they play. They play uh, Purdue and Kansas, which for Ohio, those are potentially winnable games, I would think. I'd be wow, kind of curious to see how they do that. I, I mean, would you bet on would two you, Power 5 wins do. against the bottom rung? They of do. The I, I think both of those are potentially winnable. I mean, would any of you put a lot of money on Kansas against anyone at this point? No, I don't think so. No. 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 Uh, they're they're going to be challenged in their division by Miami of Ohio. Um, they're probably the favorite, I think, in their division. Uh, the other big team, I think, that everyone's kind of picked for the MAC is going to be Toledo. They've got a returning senior quarterback, um, quite a bit of defense coming back. Yeah, they they look solid. I suppose, yeah, realistically, if any of these teams went undefeated, you could possibly have that Western Michigan scenario. They, the MAC usually schedules a few good, serious opponents for all their schools. Toledo plays Miami this year, so heck, if they did run the oh, table yeah. and went undefeated, you could argue that. Uh, you know, Miami of Ohio, I think, has Notre Dame and Cincinnati, if I remember correctly. But again, yeah, I guess if I'm going to pick a MAC team, I don't think it's any big shock. I think Toledo's probably the the odds-on favorite at this point. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good Mac breakdown right there, folks. That's, that's what you got from Boomer. Uh, you know that actually prompts me to think uh, really quick. Let's do uh, name uh, head coaches or coaching staffs uh, that have any sort of Nebraska ties to them. So we have Craig Bull and Frank Solich. Um, you know what else do we have there? Youngstown Scott Frost, State, obviously. Scott Frost <laughs> has got quite a few. Youngstown State. Youngstown. Do we have to count those guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Joey Gantz. Well, maybe it's a courtesy. You like send them a Christmas card. That's about it. Yeah. What their stupid how, check we keep sending them. How about the uh, head coach of Nevada? Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, he was. Anyone? Anyone? Gosh, what's his name? Jay Norvell. Ah, that's gets right. His oh, shot as a head coach. Oh, I was well, thinking the UNLV a... coach who. Who was where's Zach Taylor coaching? He's is he in, is he still with the Dolphins? I think. Oh, Cincinnati. Yeah, under Luke Fickle, who is a coach mm-hmm. we beat as an interim Ohio State guy, 
but UNLV is another good call. Call you have Barney Cotton as the OC yeah. there, and John Garrison. under uh, Tony Sanchez, I believe. Yeah, yeah, their coach um, was the the head coach at was it um, what's the high school? Bishop Gorman. Yeah, Gorman, where um, Nick Gates was from. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, t- Lindsay actually played there as well. Um, you also have, who's out at San Jose State now? Gunderson's out at San Jose State, mm-hmm. right? That's um, true. I think the list just goes on and on. Where's Charlton Warren? North Carolina's defense is like all ex-Husker coaches now. That's the right. Eckler's there. That's right. Papuchas and yeah. and so, Warren, I believe. Oh, wow. Joe Moglia is still out of Coastal Carolina. Is he yeah, although there? he was he's sick. on a leave, he's on a leave he? for yeah, health. He's... That's right. Okay. And uh, yeah, hockey. You sent that along, right? So he's right. out just uh, uh, until further notice, essentially. I don't know much about it to be honest with you. I just heard that he yeah. was out. Yeah. That's too bad. They just made the transition to to FBS actually, so they're actually got a FBS schedule. Um, you know, teams that have a, a some sort of Nebraska storyline. You have Tulane out there uh, with a you know trying to make something out of it. Um, missing Tanner Lee, I would guess. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Stanton's at UNLV, right? Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Johnny Stanton. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, other guys, I know, like Ernest Suttles, one of the guys that got away from Bo from a D-line perspective, that Memphis starting. He's played there quite a bit. Um, the quarterback, uh, who's at Virginia Tech? A.J. Bush. A.J. Bush. A.J. Bush, well, yeah. I think, I think he, uh, his, he, he was named not the starter today. Uh, the Richard freshman who's been there longer got the nod, but we'll see if he gets any playing time. It's a long season. You know, um, yeah. UConn, obviously, uh, trying to make waves there with uh, going back to Randy Etzel after uh, the Bobbiaco experiment. Uh, yeah, lot, lots of random connections uh, to Nebraska if you dig mm-hmm. through the group of five. Yeah, Alabama's – well, I'm sorry, this wasn't this isn't group of five. I was going to say Alabama's running backs coach. That's definitely not group of five, huh? No, that's yeah. – I'll just, I'll just shut up. That's <laughs> all right. Good stuff, though. Um, uh, Mac, do you have anybody uh, of note? You're in Fort Collins, uh, Carter House. Yeah, State I mean, it, there's a good. little bit of buzz with uh, with the hometown team here. Um, they just had that finished up their second scrimmage uh, this week, and uh, the running game looked really good. They had two backs go for over 100 yards, both true freshmen. One's a kind of a speedy guy, and the other guy is more of a bruising fullback. But uh, defensively, they still got a little ways to go. Got to shore up some tackling, but. Uh, Bobo's Bobo's pretty confident about it. Their schedule though is brutal. I mean, they Oregon State comes first game, brand that's new stadium, not such a big one. But they yep. have they do have to play Alabama, and they do have to play the Fighting Craig Bowles. So I mean, it's going to be it's going to be neutral, brutal. Neutral site, yeah, in and their usual in Denver, usual for Metro Colorado. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you if they can come out of those with a couple wins, and I don't know, it'll be a little battle tested. They might be able to screw up a few a few teams. They had the chance to screw up a few teams' years, which those are kind of always fun teams to have. Yeah, you know, Colorado State has their own own quarterback uh, um, that that's making some some noise uh, potentially at the next level. There, Nick Stevens, uh, not getting as much press as Josh Allen, but I, I think he's got got the measurables and um, definitely has uh, the type of QB. Focused coach in Bobo that maybe he he can have a big year. So 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think the Rams could be poised to, to win the Mountain West, actually, over Honky's uh, Wyoming Cowboys. So we'll see. And, that, you know, they're breaking in their new stadium, too. They're really hyped up about that, man. So that the whole game day experience is going to be different in FOCO this year. That's the truth. It's a it's a it's a good good um, beautiful campus, a good place to watch a game uh, in the new spot. So it's cool. All right, guys. Um, anything else on Group of Five that I'm missing? Well, Colorado State has to play at Wyoming, so that uh, that beautiful oh. setting. You're going to be playing in the seventy five hundred foot altitude of seventy. Yeah, that, that altitude feet. is going to have a big impact on them. So, yeah, it's only it, about a thousand more than no, Fort Collins. Yeah, it's so not it's that like, much higher than Fort it's, Collins. It's going to be huge. It's, it's not going to be a deciding yeah. factor. It will probably be all those Nebraska yeah. boys that'll be the deciding. Those factor. are the kids that are going to make the difference. I'm telling you. Um, yeah. I did find one other. They're so good at altitude. I did find one other Husker coaching connection to other schools, and that's oh. Jerry Godowski's coaching quarterbacks at Vanderbilt, which is basically Group of Five. So. Um, wow! Yeah, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, he's he's over there in Vandy. That's pretty cool. You know, he has never been talked about coming back to Nebraska as a coach. Has, of all the coaching changes we've ever had, I've never heard Jerry Gadowski's name be uttered. And he's been an active uh, NCAA FBS for, assistant for yeah. a while, mm-hmm. for years. You know, wow. we do that uh, every morning. We've been doing the countdown on Twitter, and then picking the greatest Husker jersey number. And, and I thrown a couple of them out to the. Redcast fans to pick, and one of them was number fourteen. And Jerry Taggy's going to clearly win it, but other ones were Dennis Claridge, which is the original QB under under uh, uh, Devaney. But then Gadowski, and then Baron Miles, and it's amazing. Like Gadowski's getting like one percent, and I, it's just people that just weren't around when yeah. Gadowski was playing. Man, what he did yeah. for that one season, if he'd have redshirted. Holy smokes! If he would have redshirted, it's so hard going against Taggy. Oh, yeah, I mean you're going against. Yeah, a but I think guy. he had a great senior year, right? If he would have had two, if he years would have redshirted, he would have been playing in '90 uh, when we lost to Colorado when we were up 12 nothing going in the fourth quarter, and then they came back and yeah. beat us, and we had Mickey Joseph. Well, if we would have had Godowski that year, that was the defense that you know was Pat Tyrants and Mike Petko, and you know and go, Reggie Cooper and. Kenny Walker and go, you know, go down the list. I mean, it was great defense, but we just didn't have the, the probably the QB to get it done. If we would have had Gadowski for a fifth year, ninety could have been a, a pretty special season. He was one of my one of the first Huskers I remember, like pretty clearly playing. He was good. I liked him. That was that's actually uh, reminds me of uh, one of our Twitter. Uh, questions that that Honky put out was what was your first you know, memories of Husker football? Is that right? That's Honky? right. That's been that's, that, that was that's going to be part of my parting shot. But uh, uh, it's it's well, been great to hear some of the feedback from people. I mean, we've got guys. I, I it's one of the best things that we've done. I think on Twitter to get the feedback directly from the fans, where they're talking about one guy was his first game was Bobby Reynolds. And sitting in the knothole section of Memorial wow. Stadium. I mean, how cool is that? And Absolutely. we've got listeners and, and, and followers that their first game was, uh, Dave, you and I were at it, was the Texas one second back on the clock game. And to think <laughs> yeah. that you have a following, you know, we're, we're pretty big stuff now because we have over 1,000 followers, I hear. But, you know, we've got people that, <laughs> that, that that's multiple generations of, of, of listeners. And when you start to kind of put that in perspective, when you throw a question out and then you start getting people going back and forth with the responses – you know, when it's just when when all you see is a Twitter handle, it just looks like two people 
arguing against each other. But the reality is you're talking about somebody that has that much experience, their first game being in the 50s, and they might be talking to Absolutely. somebody that, that was born this century. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's a little side note on, I guess, the, the amazement to me still of Twitter. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's wrap this up, actually. I'd love to hear uh, the other guy's uh, first Husker memories, and then we'll let Honky run with that parting shot. My, my first memory was falling asleep um, during the 84 uh, Orange Bowl. Uh, <laughs> I distinctly remember uh, getting excited for that game and then uh, not knowing the, uh, the outcome until the next morning. So uh, that's my first real, real memory. Uh, Boomer, uh, what about you? Uh, mine's probably a little different growing up in West Texas sure. to uh, families that's well, at least father that wasn't really a Nebraska fan. So and you know surrounded by everybody else who were Red Raider fans is a little different beast. I suppose the first serious memory I had was uh, I believe it would have been 1991. That was actually the first Husker game I attended. It was Nebraska Oklahoma, and uh, it was my first taste of you know being at a Husker football game. And it was the coldest game I have ever been to <laughs> in my entire career. It was freezing rain that day. I just can't imagine ever being more cold than I was that day. But Nebraska did prevail, so there was that. So it was a good start to the memories. That's awesome, Mac. You know, I definitely remember Rosier's 2,000-yard season. Um, I was living in Iowa at the time, so it was kind of a, it was kind of weird. It wasn't. It was almost like we weren't really allowed to talk about it around our Iowa neighbors because they were <laughs> they were so jealous. They were so it was just that's so much classic. hatred for the Huskers, and that's when I really learned how fun it is to mess with uh, Iowa fans. Yeah. Before so. the 84 Orange Bowl, I do remember the scoring explosion poster being on my wall during that season. I just don't specifically remember any of the actual games. Uh, Anki, of course, uh, remembers the 80 Sun Bowl, I believe, because no. <laughs> he's uh, been following I, us I remember the, the I uh, remember, for whatever reason, I remember the 82 Orange Bowl against Clemson. And not the game. I wasn't watching the game. I was so young at the point. But I remember being in the basement, and there was like a black and white TV I think we had. And I can just remember being down there. Fast forward to the next season, I remember nothing of 82. And then in 83, the kickoff classic, starting with that Penn State game, I remember every single game Nebraska's ever played since. That's and cool. I remember every game That's of that cool. season. So that was you – know, I cried my, my eyes out after the, the, the bowl game. And unfortunately, I've done that more times since as well. My parting shot is that was one of the best, you know, I've been kind of doing the Twitter thing for us, and there's such good and bad with Twitter. And that, to me, was one of the best things that we've done, and it's been so good to hear people's feedback. One of the worst things, and I'm guilty of it, I got, I went in a little, I was having fun with somebody from, I'll just say down south, and going going back and forth, and didn't realize that, that Buki was tagged on it and I'm like five or six responses and just kind of having a little fun snarky responses but about five or six into it I'm like oh my gosh we've got him tagged on it so it's like you know we're we're including him and I you know it's probably one of those learning moments to just kind of stay away from that stuff and you know we've always tried to be a little bit more highbrow than that anyway so the good and bad Twitter that's my parting shot all right hockey's bringing us down on Twitter I thought he was just doing all good Mac what do you got well, my parting shot is to put Honky's mind at ease because I periscoped Buki personally after that all happened to apologize. <laughs> then I hit him up on Twitter, you know, told him where I was going to be at that night. Me and Buki, we, we're settled, man. Don't even sweat that. Good. I got him on lockdown. By the way, it looks like Buki just went. <laughs> yeah, he's laying down for That's the good. night. Uh, <laughs> Boomer, what do you got? 
Uh, my parting shot is a uh, follow-up to last week's parting shot. Uh, for those of you who don't think we're serious about uh, James Baron von Raschke having a quality career here at UNL, just wanted to throw some numbers at you. He was a two-time All-American here at wrestling, won the 1962 Big 8 Heavyweight Championship in wrestling, uh, the 63 bronze medalist at the World Games. He was a member of the 1964 Olympic wrestling team, but was unfortunately injured before actually being able to compete there. He was the 1965 Worldwide Inter-Service Wrestling Champ as a member of the U.S. Army. In 1985, he's the inductee to the Nebraska Scholastic Wrestling Coaches Association Hall of Fame. He did coach here uh, briefly uh, for a time before starting a 30-year professional wrestling career, which saw him win a wide variety of titles and territories throughout the United States. Sure, you might say it's professional wrestling, but that's at least as believable as Floyd Mayweather in boxing these days. So, <laughs> Are you talking about Bill Bradsky? Fame, I don't know. He needs to be in there. Fair uh, enough. That's that's great. I, I I don't know if I can top that. I was just going to mention that I think I figured out the uh, secret sauce of some of these uh, Southern schools uh, uh, championship runs. I, I heard Dabo Sweeney talking about how he was excited about how young his team was and found out that they only have Clemson only has six uh, returning scholarship seniors left. Uh, they probably just chased everyone else away that was not producing um, on that team. Wow. To only have six seniors on that team, which is, uh, again, another top-five type uh, yeah. preseason team, is, is amazing. And I imagine a lot of those uh, SEC and ACC schools have that type of attrition so not something i want to see nebraska do but um it is something that happens a lot they did they they had a d lineman that was a starter for them and he left and he actually he was that's right going into his senior year and he looked at nebraska and and ended up at oregon so we'll get to see him on in september yeah they have uh, the majority of their roster is is freshmen and sophomores uh it's it's pretty extraordinary um Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Well, All right, man. that was uh, a great podcast. We will be covering the uh, the Big Ten in depth uh, next week as we rev up for uh, the first uh, games of the season and then uh, break down uh, the Huskers' first opponent, Arkansas State, uh, the week after that. You guys all have a great night out there. All right. Talk Go to you later, red. guys. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.